This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. All right, welcome to Waterfowl Wednesday on the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Mick Johnson, with our other host, Dale Luganville. Today's show is brought to you by the Nick Johnson Signature Series Goose Call by Pacific Calls, the Goose Tech app, helping you become a better goose caller, and of course, Boss Ammunition. And uh, what are we going to talk uh, about, Dale? Uh, ducks and geese and such. I think ducks and geese? Yeah, waterfall. I still got snow geese. Hey, but uh, um, one thing that I was just thinking about that kind of uh, breezed, uh, breezed through the show, we never actually got to it, was how I was detained by the sheriff here while scouting one night. <laughs> Um, yeah, you somehow failed to I mention that. I did not mention that, but I was uh, very shortly uh, detained on the side of the road by the sheriff. And, um, this is, so, this is pre-injury? Yeah, this was a few weeks ago, actually. This was a few <laughs> How weeks did ago. you not think <laughs> to talk about that? <laughs> I don't know, dude. It just, I just, it just, uh, I don't know, brain fart or whatever. Is it but that I was, traumatic? Uh, you had to block it out. Was there, was there a cavity search involved? No, dude, it wasn't traumatic at all. Like I was just driving around. Like there's a uh, roost. There's a roost I was watching. It was off the main, uh, basically off one of the main highways, you know. And I had shown up um, about a half hour early, so I just went into town and I chatted with the wife on the phone for a little while, and then it got to be scouting time. And I drove past the roost. They weren't flying yet. So I just hit the block, like what I mean, hit the block. I just went a mile east, a mile mm-hmm. south, a mile west. You know, I'm just on some really 
small gravel roads at this point, dirt roads really, you know? And so I'm coming back on my last mile back towards the roost. I'm headed back west. And this is really just like a two-track road. And um, there's a car up ahead of me, and he actually just pulls over so I can get past. That's how small of a road this is. And uh, so I go down this hill, and I come up, and I pass him, you know, gave him the old uh, gave him the old farmer wave. And I'm like, oh, that's the sheriff. You know, that's weird. The sheriff would be on this tiny road. But I'm not, you know, very far off the main highway. Mm-hmm. You know, just I'm only a half mile off the main highway anyways. I'm on my way back towards it. Like, Who knows? I don't know. And then I drive past him, and he backs up and starts following me. He backs up, turns around, starts following me down this two-track road. He's like, okay, maybe he didn't need to go down that way for some <laughs> reason. You know, <laughs> Like, what the fuck is going on? Whatever. Uh, I mean, I literally, like, have my seatbelt on, and, I'm, you know, there's nothing going on, so... I'm not worried about anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Who cares if the sheriff wants to follow me around all night? He can follow me out scouting. Right. And uh, I got back to the main highway. I'm driving past the roost. And uh, at this point, you know, I'm doing like five miles an hour under the speed limit. The cop's still following me. And I'm starting to get a little, like, curious about it. Sure enough, uh, cherries come on. And I'm like, God damn. Like, he whoop, better have, like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> he better have, like, a reason. Right? Like, because... Mm-hmm. I've done literally nothing wrong. I didn't even like wiggle within the lane of of my tr- my lane of traffic on the highway. And so he comes up. I roll my window down to have my driver's license ready. He's like, "Okay, hey, the reason I'm pulling you over tonight is that your vehicle matches the description of a vehicle that has been reported in this area of suspicious activity." <laughs> Circling the block. <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's that? Circling the block. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what that means. You know, I've been in the area, you know, like scouting Mm -hmm. a few few times. Like, I don't know what the fuck this is about here. I'm like, okay, whatever. So uh, he takes my driver's license, heads back to his truck, comes back, and then he takes his phone out and he goes, and he like goes, it's in like a text message thread. And there's a picture of my truck on his phone. And uh, he goes, this is the photo that's been shared with the police department. Um, you were on somebody's property, um, and this photo was taken from that property. What were you uh, doing on that piece of property? And uh, He goes, obviously, this is your truck. I said, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I go, you know, that's John Johnson's property. I know exactly what property that is. I was there to knock on the door and ask for permission, and nobody was home. And he's like, so uh, what are you doing out here? I'm like, and we're parked next to fucking 10,000 birds. You right, know? I, was like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm just, I work for an outfitter. I'm watching these ducks and geese. That's me asking permission to hunt these ducks and geese. Like, does that story check out? He's like, wait here. And he goes back and uh, <laughs> he's been like, like, I got to make. I've been looking for geese and I just can't seem to find any. Have you seen any with him? Just <laughs> 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 yeah. Awesome and so street. then he goes back and uh, like, call, he's like, I got to call my boss. He calls his boss or whatever comes back and he goes, all right, well. And he was like looking in my vehicle too, like looking in the back of my truck and stuff. And uh, he's like, well, since we don't have anything criminal on you, I guess we're going to have to cut you loose. I was like, cut me loose. Like. Does this mean I had been detained? Like, what the fuck is this about? You know, like, and uh, anyways, that's how I got detained. Oh, by the, well, you weren't actually detained. I by, was detained. No, you weren't. 
Because he didn't was, say you were detained. He didn't say I was detained. No, no you weren't detained. <laughs> but you, you, were you know, questioned, like with, and that was it. <laughs> with how many like farmers out there these days have either like ring doorbell cameras or just you know security cameras on their property and stuff mm-hmm. like i wouldn't be surprised if like something like this happens more often to people i well so i'll share a story i had uh, this was fairly early in my snow goose hunting career uh, way before guiding just doing it and you know we had got permission for this this field and uh it, we set up whatever there's a bunch of there was a bunch of birds the day before, and then suddenly we like weren't seeing anything. And then uh, tons of cacklers around, whatever. None of the, this information means jack shit, other than my buddy's like, well, I'm going to go scout. you know. And he had like his spotting scope out, and he could see far enough to the north that he saw some white up there. He's like, I'm going to drive around and go see what I can find up there. I'm like, all right, I'll hang back here in the spread just, just in case. And so I'm sitting there, and I got – this part was cool absolutely covered up in this huge flock of cacklers like they never actually put down but they circled like belly scraping low like five times and the sound was literally deafening like it was insane i could see their eyeballs moving and i was just like i was grinning ear to ear like this is the coolest thing ever and just kind of straining my eyes find that one white one right and they just it didn't exist uh, but anyway, so then that happened. I was all happy. But then suddenly, uh, I was hit with a code brown. Which means you have to poop? Yeah, real bad. Like, <laughs> this isn't something I'm going to, like, I can't get out of the field and drive to the town that's 20 minutes away. Like, this, is, this isn't going to happen. Well, there was a, like, there was a farmhouse there that nobody was, that nobody lived in. You know, it was just like they stored, like, the you know, the garage is stored like the farm equipment or whatever. And I was just going to see if by chance that door was unlocked. And uh, so I tried the door, nothing. I was like, oh, this is not good. And then eventually just had the, you know, dip behind a bush or a building or whatever. Like it, decision-making was over at that point. Didn't you really, the, you didn't kick the door down. I didn't kick the door down. <laughs> didn't really think anything of it. Um, went back to the, the field and then in about 10 minutes, these three cars just come screaming into, like, the field or the – I can't remember if I was in the field or if I was – I don't remember where I was. I might have been just walking back to the field or something. And uh, they were <laughs> they were packing heat. They were ready to – they were ready to roll. Apparently, there was a silent alarm on that house, and I had jimmied the door enough to set it off. So this, I mean, we're not talking about an abandoned house here. We're talking about like a house with like a security system, and you're so like trying was, to break into shit in there, Dale. Okay, like, it wasn't breaking in. I didn't. I didn't break in. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> try. B and E. I didn't try Jimmy the door. B and E. I didn't try Jimmy the door. I did. I was just like, oh dang, that door's not. You know, and it. I mean, it did wiggle a little bit, and I was like, ah oh, dang. I was just, you know, I'm now like, what if you would have gotten in there and you would have been mid poop, and then those guys stormtroopered in and murdered you. I mean, not the way I want to go out, although kind of a cool story <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> at least I would make, at least, you know what, I would probably make it on some pretty cool programs. I'd probably be on, like, the Drinking Bros podcast or the whatever, Barstool Sports. Like, this, I would become a meme. I would be infamous. I would, like, Dude, honestly, I'll never gain this kind of, I'll never gain that type of notoriety. It might have been worth it. 
Who gets murdered on the toilet? Vince yeah. Vega from Pulp Fiction. Mm. You could go out like you could go you out go. like Vincent. I mean, Vincent honestly, Vega. there are there are worse ways. There are worse ways to go. I mean, there's at least there's a great story there. But I mean, they under actually when I I talk, but I it just wasn't straight police up, folk. No, it wasn't police folk. Uh, it was straight up. Um, no, dude, these people were just. This was going to be South Dakota justice. Like they, they were coming to take care of business themselves. Uh, yeah, they were. They were. They're like, oh, I got alarm tripped or whatever. And I tried calling actually, um, just to see. Because uh, we had the the property owner's uh, number or whatever, the brother or something like that, and um, like to see if there was a hidden key or something. Just to, I was hoping, you know, and uh, couldn't. I had like no cell reception. I got like nothing. Like nothing was going. Why are you through. trying to like go into places to poop, man? You just find yourself a fence post and because, lean back. Uh, man, I knew this was gonna be a messy one. Like, it just wasn't going to be – I didn't have any paper. I had nothing. But my buddy left with the vehicle. Like, I literally had nothing, nothing. I mean, eventually I did, end up, I did end up doing that because that was my only option in these quick thinking moments. But anyways, they had a good laugh at it at my expense, and it was all good. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry that you – left work or whatever you had to do like i was and i and i even showed him i showed him like i tried calling like it's just nothing i don't have any signal nothing went through and they're like oh, okay that's fine we just we've had issues out here before people trying to break in that's why we have the security system and that's the other thing i don't expect any sort of like crazy security system like that out in the middle of fuck nowhere south dakota you know but well i hope you learned your lesson um <laughs> sure i don't know what lesson i learned but other than carry TP with you at all times. So, um, when are we going snow goose hunting? That's next week. Uh, uh, a week from this Thursday and Friday. Thursday and Friday. Okay. Mm-hmm. At least that's when uh, I'm going to be there. I think that's when you're going to be there. Yeah, I think Same so time. too. Yeah. So like, it's going to be snowy as fuck. Yeah, uh, there'll be birds. I ain't worried about it. Yeah, there will be birds. Just those front edge leading adult birds as we're just playing around in the mud and slop and getting our ass kicked. <laughs> I should look. Getting all I of our pull equipment up. fucking wet and man, it's yeah. gonna be so much fun, Dale. It is gonna be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. For one, I've only ever talked to Phil on the phone, and we've had some long conversations about pretty much every topic you can think of. Yeah, and, Phil told uh, me he was talking to you about UFOs and shit recently. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked literally like we'll he'll just call me randomly as he's uh driving across the country and i don't even know how we get on the subjects but next thing you know we're just down a rabbit hole some like joe rogan type shit and it's uh i mean i'm always game for that like that i love that kind of shit and uh apparently he does too and we'll just talk for an hour or better and uh it's pretty so i'm i'm, I'm pretty pumped to finally meet him in person and, and share a pit with him i think it's gonna be a, it's gonna be fun and he he just called me here like a week or so ago he was like i'm excited but also i'm nervous like is this gonna work i'm like dude who cares there's gonna be birds and i just i'm like and i also felt weird like talking to him about like if there would be birds or not because it's, it's fucking phil schmidt so like he doesn't need my input, um, but what yeah, I what I, I told him is that care. in my guiding experience, like you know, Dean has freaked out multiple years, like oh we're screwed. And one time in all the years that I guided for him, did we have to like push back our clients a week because winter was just hanging on that bad? And I think that was last year. I'm like, 
by the second weekend in South Dakota, there are birds. Like there just there just will be. Yeah, I, I just count on it. You know, because we're wrapping up by the by the first weekend in uh, April, because you know pretty much Easter is when we're done. Right. And so that's only two weeks beyond when we're going to be there. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be birds. <laughs> like I just I'm not worried. Middle of middle of uh, March, the 17th or whatever the dates are. Yeah, there there'll be birds. I'm not worried about it. I'm hoping there's honkers in Manitoba when I go to hunt there on April 5th. Um, that's a that's a different story. That's a maybe. I guess I well a I don't have any experience with that. Oh, whatsoever. Uh, but I do know, and you know as well, that those like nesting honkers, at least, show up pretty damn early. You know, they stand. Yeah, like in the Minneapolis on, area, they always yeah. show up around March one. Yeah, they stand on the ice. Wait, you want to know something crazy? At least it was. I thought it was crazy. So I was, um, I was down in the Dassel area, if you know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, this weekend doing some ice fishing and fished a tournament on Sunday. But on Saturday, when I was I had left the lake doing some uh scouting Saturday mornings for a fishing tournament and then I had to run up to Clearwater Lake. Anyways, when I from there to Clearwater, which only like it's like a thirty minute drive straight north, I saw a damn sandhill crane. Hmm, that's pretty crazy. Damned I was like, Am I look it's that admit and then I got a good look at him like, damn, that's a sand hill. Holy shit. There's nothing but snow everywhere and frozen lakes. And I saw a sand hill. Okay. Damn. That is crazy. I don't Dude, know. I'm still stuck in Kansas right now. Are you? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You didn't make it home? No. Well, I had my eye injury. I figured I could oh, probably right. roll out. I, I figured I could roll out this weekend and I brought my truck in on Thursday for a oil change and get that squealing noise looked at and uh that getting the squealing noise looked at uh has resulted in me still not having my truck oh, it's been hell. gone for five fucking days did they get what 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 is it he said it's an exhaust manifold <laughs> whatever just drive it i don't know what the fuck i don't i'm not <laughs> a mechanic dude like <laughs> Anyways, dude, hey, we were going to talk about some waterfall-related stuff, too. Like, uh, one of the articles I said, I shared, you said, piqued your interest a little? Yeah, so I touched on it on uh, this week's recap and rant a little bit. Well, that was my rant topic. Um, so I wanted to, to, let's talk about some controversy as, as, like, what is climate change or what does it mean? And Because that article, that's what kind of got my brain thinking, is, like, these geese and what you say, they were pinkfoots, I think you said, that are, like, changing their nesting areas or habitats due to Well, I think the article that you're referring to is an article that I shared on my Snapchat about, here, I got it right here. It's on Earth.com, Nature, Science, and Life. Arctic geese adapt by finding a new migratory route. So temperatures are rising faster in the Arctic, faster than the global average. It's affecting shit more, blah, blah, blah. And yes, this is about pink-footed geese breeding in Svalbard in the summer, and then blah, blah, blah. And now they've found a uh, – and they usually go down the, a narrow corridor on the west coast of Norway, but they have found a new breeding location, I think, in uh, – let's see – 
Anyways, they got a new breeding location, and they are for sure the Svalbard geese because of bands. Mm. So they know it's not just like geese that are, you know, it's geese that previously nested on Svalbard are now nesting somewhere else. And I know, like, in, in terms of, like, I know we're talking about Svalbard pink-footed geese. Like, a lot of people uh, have a disconnect. A lot of our listeners aren't really heavily invested in Svalbard pinkfoots. But, like, this is something that I know for sure that they've seen in snow geese, too, which are another Arctic nesting species. Um, moving, like, they'll have, like, sometimes they've found birds that will um nest like on the hudson bay and then next thing you know they're nesting on the north slope of alaska like that type of shit right well and also and, uh, i mean it's kind of like it just seems like some of their projections um as far as like the doom and gloom projections aren't really panning out like what they've predicted so as far as climate change goes but even as far as like i know we've covered this topic with the the light geese where they're like oh they're overgrazing the tundra they're but then they leave when that food source is gone. They leave that area, and you know for obvious reasons they're not just going to sit there and pick at dirt. Like they're going to go find food. So while they're gone to another area, then that area of the tundra starts to recover. And it's like we just don't. I don't think we give these birds enough credit, or animals in general, when it comes to stuff like climate change. And that's kind of where like my brain goes a little. Uh, well, I wouldn't say conspiracy theory, but just like, you know, they're just dealing in like fear because. Well, I also think, too, that when it comes to the climate changing or whatever, that some species are going to be winners and some species are going to be losers. And uh, if you're an adaptable species with wings, probably a win. <laughs> well, I think, But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, really what we've seen, if you want to go off of like, uh, you know, fossil records or whatever the being a specialist is where you are in trouble you know right because right. a koala only eats eucalyptus the only thing that has to happen is something kills off most of the eucalyptus and you're fucked like that just wasn't right yeah yeah you know that's a dead that's an evolutionary dead end um it's kind of like why are the mallard duck the most abundant species of duck on the planet? Well, it's the most adaptive. Exactly. So it's more than just and the, the fact horniest. that they can fly. <laughs> that too. But it's like, <laughs> but you know, the the poster child, and I brought this up, and I just talked about. I was like, the poster child for climate change has been the polar bear, right? And they always show that one sickly one. He's probably dying of old age or whatever. They catch him on a, a floating chunk of ice, which is probably three feet off a shore, but they just don't put the shore in the background, and so it just paints this doom and gloom picture but they're seeing that polar bears well we've already known this like they eat on land too it's not like they only eat seals on ice like they'll go in they're starting um they're seeing more and more like crossbreeding with brown bears and okay. i think that's pretty it sounds like they're like yeah it seems you know because as they leave their coastal ice flows because of climate change. They're moving inland, finding different food sources, so they're overlapping more with brown bears. And, you know, dudes are going to find holes. That's just what happens. So, <laughs> I mean, let's see. You know, when it comes to reproduction, that seems to be a, a constant in, in nature. But point being, like, they'll also wipe out, you know, a large part of a nesting colony of snow geese. If a polar bear stumbles upon it, they can eat a crap ton of eggs. Um, 
So they're not just dependent on these seals. But to bring it back to waterfall, it's like, well, of course, of course they adapt. You know, and the point that I made was like, you know, I'd like to take kind of two separate scientific realms and meld them together to get a better picture. So if you were to take like these ice cores that look at climate as it's changed over the millennia and then overlay that with the evolutionary history of, say, snow geese. So I don't know what the actual number is, like how long snow geese, as we know them now, how long have they been around? A million years? 700,000 years? I don't know. Like when they, like what they estimate, that's how long the snow goose has been around. But if you overlay that time frame with climate, you're going to see these drastic changes. Like there's times Mm -hmm. when... The northern third of the world was covered in glaciers. Well, they, sure. I'm sure they weren't nesting in Nunavut then. They were probably nesting in St. Paul. Right. Because <laughs> like, that was the edge of the snow line, you know? Like, Yep. I've always wondered that. Like, where did the where did the Arctic nesting geese um, nest during the Ice Age? Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of my point. When, when the leading edge of that Ice Age is, you know, the northern part of the lower 48, well, there, there was no Arctic geese. Because nothing up there but snow and ice. Right, right, right. Like, why would they be there? They wouldn't. So, point being is that they're adaptable. Like, and they change with. It's like they're not pigeonholed in any one kind of niche. They're very adaptable. I mean, I think we've seen that with the fact that they've once we changed agricultural practices, they quickly learned they had a super easy food source, and. Change. Right. I'm sure they changed their migration patterns to take advantage of that. You know, who knows what their what their migration patterns were. But then my brain goes to, and this is really going down a rabbit hole. But before the mass die off of the, the younger Dryas era, when we had all the megafauna, the woolly rhinos and mammoths and mastodons and all that, like. Don't forget your giant sloths. Your giant sloths and beavers the size of Volkswagens. Like, yeah. Yeah, dog. That's my favorite size of beaver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must really love the feeling of inadequacy. Uh, but <laughs> but think about it. So especially with the beavers and the sloths, like those things, and, and the mammoths, like they're pushing trees down. The beavers are chopping trees down. The sloths are eating the trees. These giant forests that we see, like these boreal forests that just cover like lower Canada, that probably didn't exist. Like th- that would have been more like there would be more open savanna than heavily forested areas that we see today because we don't have that megafauna that is drastically controlling the population of those said trees. You would, and then they had all like the step bisons and horses and all and camels and all sorts of shit that were grazing. So think of what the waterfall landscape would have looked like. You know, like, yeah, it's hard to imagine. And plus, uh, not just that, but the landscape itself was much, much different because you had 200 million beavers that still were alive making mm-hmm. beaver dams. And then you right. had the entire then you had the whole like Sacramento Valley in California um, that used to be called the California Inland Sea. Right. It was it was basically a giant ocean of fresh water in the middle of California. Now it's a valley. They dried it out and planted crops there you know you, you're talking about like same with the like, prairie pothole region that still had uh, the 95 percent of wetlands that we successfully drained out of there you know it's like it's uh it would have been a 
vastly, vastly different landscape. Now, they do say that um, um, Native Americans did quite a bit of landscape manipulation for their own food uh, mm -hmm. needs as well, you know, so it's not like it was, like, untouched by man. Like, they said, like, the Native Americans made food crops and baited deer and baited ducks and geese and stuff, too. Well, they're not idiots. I mean, right. and then also you got Lake Agassiz, <laughs> like, in the Dakotas. Like, North Dakota was a giant inland sea as well. Sure. Um, so who knows what that looked like. But again, it's like, you know, what I've learned here moving up north and working on the with the, the tribes up here is that the story of the Ojibwe or Anishinaabe, that's their word for it, is they migrated from the, the east coast. This is great. My, like they came and moved after all those megafauna died. And so they, you know, like they hold wild rice in high regard, like it's sacred and it was basically a survival food. But if you think about it, like that wild rice wouldn't be around like we see it now. You wouldn't have these lakes that are just absolutely filled with wild rice because there was critters eating it. You know, you're going to have like, think of how much wild rice, uh, a herd of, woolly mammoths could rip up and eat or moose or Norwegian elk or whatever the, you know there's I'm sure there was some creature out there just going ham on that stuff right but now that those giant beasts are gone well it proliferates which actually helps the you know waterfall I suppose it's a huge food source for them so who knows was there more waterfall back then or was there less because there was no agriculture the wild rice wouldn't have been what it was but however you would have these giant savannas, just massive savanna areas that are all like short grass, which we all know at least geese fucking love that shit. So it would, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be prime for that. And then, like you said, you got the beavers building ponds and who knows? Like that would be build me a time machine. I'd love to go back and check that shit out. Like that would be badass. Dude, I, I love to hear about like, uh, all right. even like when the first white people started getting here and talking about hunting, like when they first got here, like, how there was just the sky would be black with ducks and geese over like on Maryland's East coast and um, all that stuff. Even like uh, I was uh, reading uh, Ulysses S. Grant's uh, autobiography that he wrote. Mm -hmm. He was talking about like when he was doing the Mexican American war, they're like going through Texas and stuff. And basically they fed the troops by, uh, they just sent a couple hunters out and they'd come back with as many deer and turkeys as they needed to survive. That's like, and it yeah. didn't take, and it didn't take long. And even yeah. he's like a, he's a really like endearing self-deprecating figure talking about like how terrible of a hunter he was. He's like, yeah, I tried to go out and he's like, I just, it was, I, I can't sneak up on animals. <laughs> <laughs> like, so we'd send some capable dudes out there and they'd drag back deer all night long. Like, I love hearing about that. Like, what was it like exactly? You know, here's some firsthand accounts of like where they were, what the hunting was like. Well, the first Europeans looked at it as like they thought it was an inexhaustible resource. Like they didn't even like conservation just wasn't a word back then. Like it just seemed like there was so many, you know, even with like the buffalo, you know, the oh, million head herds and stuff like that. But again, if we go back far enough, that that in and of itself wasn't actually natural because the buffalo or the the bison, American bison, 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 was the only like surviving remnant of that family from the ice age because there was all sorts of different bison's uh, subspecies that roamed North America uh, pre ice age. So, well, think uh, about like um, 
the 19th when did well when did uh ducks unlimited and delta waterfall start oh man that's a great that's a great trivia question um probably which one started first was it delta no i think it was do you shit i don't even know uh, the and then when did all the 50s, hunting when did all I the think? hunting no it was the 30s the same 30s, time frame okay. like when all the hunting laws like um were passed sure like bag limits and stuff so imagine like how much all hunters hate each other you know <laughs> and i imagine that like was still the attitude back then but you had market hunters like oh, the population that just makes their living off of killing ducks and geese um but you were saying like how there was no such thing as conservation like people in the 1930s there must have been some like old timers around that were like y'all are fucked you know like right back like 75 80 year old dudes that are like dude when i was in my 20s we would shoot 200 fucking ducks a day and now you guys are struggling to get eight or you know what i mean right like there must have been like an absolute like fucking catastrophe of like where all this conservation all these laws all come together at once like they must have come to a like a come to jesus moment like Oh God, what have we done? Yeah, and <laughs> like, I, th- I we, think there are we some. Have fucked this all up. I think there are some writings that that talk pretty much that same thing, where they're just like, "Listen, we are at a we're at a turning point." You know, and Teddy Roosevelt was right there, kind of boots on the ground. I mean, he's often called the father of conservation. I mean, he set up Yellowstone, which is the first national park of any kind anywhere in the world. You know, right? Um, so we have him to thank for that. But he was, you know, he was a avid hunter too, you know. I don't know. It, it's just I love thinking about that stuff. Like, what would it have been like? Like, were the skies always darkened with waterfall, or did that only come again after, like, we started manipulating the land and making it prime breeding habitat? You know, right? But like I said, I even, you, like, even the Native Americans did controlled fires and stuff like that to keep brush down. So they were probably making good waterfall habitat in, I don't think that was their reasoning, but you know, as a side effect. And I think they did. Uh, well, there's some study, there's some paper or something that came out where they found this, uh, native American, uh, I think I've talked about this before. It was a native American, basically, uh, landfill that was centuries old or whatever. And they noticed that, you know, you go deeper and you get older, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, there was like a, a Native American spot, big landfill. People lived there for centuries. And there was like just an absolutely astronomical amount of waterfowl bones. But as hmm. they, um, but then they dug lower and there was almost no waterfowl bones for a long time. And then all of a sudden they kept digging deeper and deeper tons of waterfowl bones again so what they figured was way 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 back in, like uh when they started this landfill that the native americans were just absolutely massacring ducks and geese and everybody in the tribe was gorging themselves on it i think this is in california and then uh there's no more waterfowl bones or very 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 few waterfowl bones and then all of a sudden the bones get the waterfall bones change and get more plentiful again. So they went through a period where there was very they had a lot of waterfowl, then not much, and then a lot again. 
So I think this paper was even trying to make some far-reaching claims to, like, you know what they probably did was started their own Native American DNR, you know, like. Maybe. But, it, yeah, maybe. Maybe I mean, they're like, if you maybe they at... loved it. Maybe they just shot the fuck out of ducks and geese and then uh, had to reel themselves back in a little bit. Well, I mean, Missouri <laughs> is the the place that uh, I can never remember the name of this city. It's like Hoya or something like that. But this huge Tecumseh. Native American city, which had like a footprint of the uh, of an earthen pyramid that's bigger than the footprint of the Pyramid of Giza. Was, has been estimated to house over a million people in that community. Like... Well, you got to feed all them people, you know, like, but I'm here. Here's me thinking, what kind of technology do they have? Are they like, how are they killing this many ducks and geese without TSS and extended tubes? Oh, dude, bow and arrows, dude. I bet they're just fucking mopping them. I bet they're using net. I I bet they're using nets and they're getting them when they're nesting or couldn't fly. Like they're not, again, they're not stupid. You know, like the traps. Yeah. Traps. hundred percent. Bunch of traps. Get them when they're molting and they can't fly. Shit. But I've seen too, like they've had, uh, I've seen pictures like in, in books and stuff, or the internet of Native American decoys, they would weave the, they would weave their oh, own sure. duck decoys yeah. out, of, out of cattails and shit. Probably doing just like some dude is just like a, a savant with like mimicking the, a goose sound with his mouth, you know, no callers like sure. for sure, like just mouth callers, like exactly yeah. for sure. And then the dudes who are just really good wing shots with bow and arrows, mm-hmm. that'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> what's the 20 gauge equivalent to a bow and arrow <laughs> actually like i uh i have i've i have hunted geese with a bow and arrow and uh it probably wouldn't have been me considering how uh poorly i shot at those stationary geese <laughs> i uh i need some practice <laughs> maybe i would have just been the caller that's hilarious oh god that's so funny <laughs> or maybe they did. Maybe they carved out some, like, I don't know, some sort of tube. Maybe they did invent a goose call. We have no idea what they did. It's like not like not like you're going to find any of that equipment. Like, it's all going to rot away. It's all, like, it's all made of earth and stuff. So what evidence would there be? Do we have any update on the uh, farmer plowing goose decoys under? Have not seen anything. It's Me been neither. It's been all quiet on that front. I suppose it's in the hands of the legal system right now and we know how fast that works any more snow goose drama on the interwebs i haven't seen anything uh, people are piling them up that's what i've been seeing you know there's a this um most recent snowstorm we just had had a few birds pushing back down like right in missouri is absolutely shit stacked right now dude they had like a 2.2 million i don't even yeah. know maybe we discussed that on the last podcast even well, they had a million was- i think they had a mil over a million last last week and now it's yeah it probably is two million i mean they did at one point i think they said on the los bluffs facebook page that they had two million i think on the refuge one day but yeah. that might have been last week it's, but it's not like they could have made it much further yet no there's going to be a mass exodus though i mean it's just again going back to what we already touched on it it, it happens like these things they're on a ticking clock like it, this yeah, they, is a countdown. They got to make a move. Snow, ice, all of it, be damned. Like they have, they have like a a hard start date to breeding on the tundra, and they just have to go. You know, last year was just, I know we talked about it, but the weather was atrocious. I think the entire month and a half I was in South Dakota, I think we had three days 
that where the wind blew from the south and would have been like stereotypical migration days. The rest of the time, it was a strong wind out of the north or northwest. It was bullshit. But the geese still migrated because they didn't have a fucking choice. Right. You can't just sit there and, you know, wait at the Motel 8 until conditions are prime. Like, at some point in time, it's like, well, we better get going. Well, me and Ben, me and Ben Webster discussed this on the podcast too. Uh, I did with him, like, and and their hard cutoff date. Well, they need to make it to the tundra, you know, around like May fifteenth, which it, it always makes me wonder why they why do they push the snow and ice lines so hard just to get up to Canada and go nowhere for a month. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, part of it is instinct and just to get as far north as they can before they have to make their big jump. Because that gives them more time to actually sit there before their big jump and actually rest and feed and put on fat for the breeding season. Well, and another I, reason I, is, I think, so they can get out of the gunfire. Because as I, soon as they hit basically North Dakota, they're safe. Sure. And I, I just had a thought, and I, again, this is completely unfounded, but, you know, uh, the Arctic is technically a desert. Like it doesn't right. get it doesn't get that much precipitation, so it's not like they have to wait for uh, twenty feet of snow and ice to melt. You know, once that what little bit of snow they got melts, because the sun is more direct, even if the temperature is not that great, grasses are going to grow and those birds are going to be there. So even if there's snow, say on the the tree line, you know. Where like that, where the the northern parts of like Canadian agricultural land, maybe they stack up there. But at some point in time, they probably even if there's still snow there, they probably make the jump because there's not going to be that much snow in the Arctic where they breed. I think they got about a, semi-arid. I think they got a couple weeks before food really gets plentiful up there. Yeah. I guess I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, that's what I've always had the impression of is they show up. It's basically still barren. And within a wide, like June 1st, then you're starting to get grass popping up. Right. But yeah, so that, like maybe there's not much to eat, but they're still going to be up there breeding and laying eggs and building yes. nests. Because they brought, they brought, they bring their food with them in the form of fat on their body exactly. from, that, from the agricultural lands. Right. And then that kind of, that whole climate change things. I know we talked about this, but it's been a long time. Like my, my hypothesis of, um, why there's blue geese and snow geese within the same species and how it, to me, anecdotally, it seems to be there's more blues now than there used to be 20 years ago. And is, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Is that an adaptive, like, is there some genome that gets unlocked as temperature, average temperatures rise? Because if you think about it, uh, an all white goose on a snowless uh, landscape is going to stick out. Like that wouldn't mm-hmm. that wouldn't benefit you. So having that darker blue goose uh, phase might camouflage you better, or possibly, or it's not uh, genomic if that's a word at all. It's just that <laughs> uh, process of elimination. If you do stick out, you get eaten. So then it's blue geese just produce more, or they just more of them survive. And then conversely, if it then switches and climate starts to cool and there's more snow for longer, you end up with more white geese because the dark ones stick out and they're the ones that get jacked by predators. I think this is a good uh, opening to possibly have a snow goose expert on. <laughs> Do you know of any? <laughs> I think there's that one guy, uh, his name's Rocky LaFleur or something like that. Yeah, He'd be a good a... dude to talk to. 
I just want to have him on because his name kicks ass. <laughs> I think that's his name. I think he's been on some DU podcasts. Oh, really? I'll reach out to him. Hit him up. Yeah. Re- yeah. Tell him. We've got questions. We need answers. Yeah. We need to know about these blue geese. Yeah. What's going on with that? Why? What Evolutionarily, why is there two color phases? Yeah, that is a good question, honestly, because it's not like one is just slightly different than the other like the difference between a common ground dove and a ruddy ground dove is one's like a little bit more yeah. Just, yeah, a little yeah. bit or a morning dove or a white wing like that fucking the same thing even like a dusky canada goose to a canada goose like one's darker <laughs> right. all right yeah the one is darker <laughs> than the other one yeah. all right now you look at a lesser snow goose compared to a lesser snow goose blue phase and you're like what the fuck and also, and also, why is there almost always a a like greater and lesser version of the same goose? That's I, that's another great question that I really have never found the answer to. Reach have, out to him. We have questions. Find this motherfucker. Well, you know him more better than I do. I mean, I'll reach out to him, but you're gonna have to like text me or send me like I don't remember that name. Rocky Lafleur. What did you say it was? I think that's what it was. Have to look up on the DU podcast. But uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I might have time to do it. I don't know. I, you know, considering I'm doing nothing, fucking nothing <laughs> in Kansas. How's the uh, How's the eyeball? The eyeball's a lot better. It's gonna be permanently damaged. The doctor said, though. Really? Yeah. Like, like your vision is gonna be affected. Yep. yep. Damn, it's gonna be like dog. It's gonna be like a foggy, like looking through a foggy lens from now is on. Is it a left or right? Your left or right? Is it your dominant eye? Nope, it's my left eye. Oh, you got you lucked out. <sighs> I don't know I if will, you consider that dude, lucky or never, not, but <laughs> I will never fucking hunt without safety glasses on ever again. Uh, oh, I might I may just have a treat for you when I meet you in South Dakota. Oh I yeah, can, I gotta send you in my order. See if I can get him in time. Yeah, I better get you that. I don't know if I'm gonna have time. Uh we'll see. Well, I'm actually <laughs> working yeah, right. Get that order in. So I'm I'm working at the Northwest uh sports show this weekend uh repping relevant so i'll see what oh, I, cool. I'll see what i can do you're actually going to be there huh mm-hmm. and this is in st paul minneapolis minneapolis yep this weekend this weekend saturday and sunday i'll be there god damn well i'd love to stop by and actually try on some of these sunglasses well if you're if you're gonna be back uh in minnesota yeah, then if, you definitely yeah, should no shit no shit then if, you can pick your a... frames right all right, man. Well, uh, let's end her there. Sounds good, dude. All right. Well, um, that's it for Waterfall Wednesday. Tune in next week. Check out the Goose Tech app if you're trying to get better at goose calling in the signature series Goose Call by Pacific Calls. And if you haven't yet, try yourself out some boss ammunition. They're, they're boss. They're very good. All right, man. We'll chat with you later. Sounds good, dude. Bye. Bye. anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv